It's That Stack of Books. I'm Nancy Pearl. I'm Steve Scher. I think you should go first, really. P before S anyways. We are in the Bryant Corner Cafe in Seattle's Bryant neighborhood with a, with a room full of folks ready to talk about books. And uh, we were talking a few weeks ago about, I think this was Katie Sewell's idea, the books that are on your shelf that you have not read but you've saved because you mean to get to them. I have so many that I have to think about some of my titles. But do you have some? I do have some, but I had to think about it because I really try to only save the books that I absolutely love um, and, and, and try to abide by the rule of one book in, one book out. The books that, that are on my shelf that I have not read that I really intend to read are a bunch of um, Trollope, Anthony Trollope, who I have read some, but uh, there are so many other ones that I really want to go back to. But I feel like life is so, moves at such a fast pace now that you need a lot of kind of emotional time to sort of to sit with Anthony Trollope because things were much, le- much more leisurely back then in the 19th century. And, and so I'm not ready to read them, but I feel like when things slow down, that I will be. When, when is that, Nancy? When do things slow down? <laughs> I, don't I know some people who things are slowing down for. I don't think you want to wait that long. Oh, yeah. I, I, there's a balance. I just have to find the right moment to do that. So that, that, the Anthony Trollope is, is definitely there. And then some Dickens that I'd really like to, Our Mutual Friend, which I've never read. Okay, I, I can see why Dickens. I mean, I, I get that. But what brought Trollope up to your uh, list? Oh, because, because there was a wonderful Masterpiece Theater uh, presentation of, of Trollope, some Trollopes uh, years ago. And I actually read the Barsetcher Chronicles and um, the other, uh, the, the other, the Pallisers, thank you, those, those, um, those two series. But then he wrote so many. Um, and, and whenever you read about somebody, you know, talking about their favorite book, frequently people will say, oh, there's this Anthony Trollope that I absolutely loved. And I'll think, oh, I should get that. And plus, if you read on an e-reader, they're all free because they're in the public domain. So you could just keep them there for when you travel, you know, in a pinch. Have you done that? Have you dipped in through e-readers? What have you, what, what did you get to check off your list in your travels? Oh, no, no, no. I, when I'm going, when I'm traveling, see, it, it's just so busy when you're traveling. So, you know, I want a totally different kind of a book. But I know now um, that, that there'll always be Trollope. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, is there any book that you have that, so I, your, your intention is to read Trollope. Are there books on your shelf that you've saved and your intention is to read them, but you but you go by them a lot and say, oh, I, I still haven't read that, but you don't reach for it. Besides Trollope and yeah. Dickens, no. You are strongly disciplined. You are strongly disciplined. What are these books? Hi, I'm Judy. In brief, the first one is The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell, which everyone says I should read, and I <laughs> loved her book, um, Thread of Grace. So this is this is top of the list. I have, we have a shelf full of David McCulloch at home, and so I've, I'm, I've got to get to them one of these days. I, I really, I'm a, a fan of his, but John Adams is on my list. That's a very good book. You will like that book because it is so full of s- 
special, specific stories and details that you don't really find anywhere else. And the third one I have here is called Savage Beauty. It's a novel about uh, Edna St. Vincent Millay. Now, I see Nancy saying no. A couple of my friends said, oh, this you have to read, have to read. So I picked it up at a second-hand bookstore. I'd like to see, do I have to read it or not, folks? <laughs> no, no, it's not a novel. Oh, it's sorry. a biography. I, I it, so that's what I was no oh, knowing oh, about. Um, so what do you think of it? Well, I, I think it's, I loved Edna St. Okay. Vincent Millay, mm-hmm. and mainly because I loved her poetry, but I also loved a biography I read of her when I was a child. So it had so much influence on my feelings about Edna St. Vincent Millay. But um, she was somebody who burned her candles at both ends and um, a very interesting person. She was a person who, I, I like that, really. She, she had a go of it, huh? Oh, my goodness. Yes, absolutely. And it was so interesting. Uh, I, you know, we think, everything, we think everything that's risque or different or whatever that we've invented in the, in, in the years that, you know, in the last 10 years, well... No, I don't think so. No. That's why the Greeks made the statues they made. I think we know that. Katie Sewell, this was your idea. It was my idea. I have shelves full of books I intend to read. <laughs> the one I've had around the longest, though, is one called O'Brien's Desk, which has a... Do you know this book? Okay. I got it somewhere from some random. And all it says about it is that it's a mystery that's about objects on a desk. It has no real description. And every time I try to read it, I just end up not doing it. But I've been carrying it around for at least 10 years. 10 years you've been carrying that around? It's a big hardcover book. (laughs) That one and Catch-22. I just never uh, feel like sitting down and doing Catch-22. It's no trollope. You should sit down and read that. You, you need to read that just to get all the cultural references that still I know, crop that's up why our, I bought it, but yeah. I still can't do it. <laughs> I help, try. Help him. Help the bombardier. But I'm the bombardier. I did finally get around to reading another one that I had been dragging around for 10 years, which was called A Prayer for the Dying by Stuart Onan or something like that. And let me tell you, that book was depressing. <laughs> so Stuart Onan is a, a novelist from Pittsburgh, but... Um, but his best book, I just have to put in a plug for this wonderful, wonderful book called Emily Alone. It's a novel by Stuart Onan, and it's the story of, um, of an elderly woman uh, living by herself. She's a widow, and this is her life in Pittsburgh. And it sounds terribly depressing, I think, from that description, but it's, it, it's just one of the most wonderful books I've ever, ever read. And I, I interviewed him for my television show, and you know, um, it, and he's it's a was a wonderful interview. If you're interested in writing as well, it was like being at a at a at a writing class, um, just hearing him talk. And if you Google Seattle Channel uh, Stuart Onan, you could listen to it. Books that are on your shelf that you, this is like a game show, you see, because you're going to name a book that you haven't read, and then Nancy. <laughs> will probably either have read it or know the author or have another suggestion for you. Hi, I'm Nan Schoenfeld. So I've had, I had about 20 or 25 books on my shelf and then I retired. So I've made great progress going through a lot of books. Although 
coming to this um, gathering, I've gotten a lot more recommendations for books, so now it's growing again. But, but a couple that, that I've been meaning to read for a long time is Richard Ford, Independence Day. I've never read anything by him. I've heard he's great, so that's on my list. And then I've had several Barbara Kingsolver novels, and the Poisonwood Bible is one that I want to read. I just finished reading Flight Behavior and absolutely loved it. So I'm, I'm really excited about reading uh, more books by her. You got a whole stack, huh? I have, I have some nonfiction as well, but they haven't been on my stack that long. So The Inventor and the Tycoon and The Invention of Air, both kind of similar in that they're stories about a time in the past and they have a lot of characters and some intrigue usually. Um, the, the Inventor and the Tycoon is, is about a, a murder that involved uh, uh, Leland Stanford, was involved in that. And The Invention of Air is about science and faith and revolution and the birth of America. And then The Great Divergence um, is not that old a book, Timothy Noah. It's about income inequality. And uh, maybe by the time I get to reading it, there won't be any more. Yeah, good luck on that. But that's an interesting book that it's out now because, of course, it came out a while ago, but it is the talk of the, of the era. What I love about that pile of books is that the, the fiction looks so old. I wish people could see it. I mean, the fiction looks like it has been on your bookshelf or somebody's bookshelf for many years, and the nonfiction looks relatively new, which, which of course... Uh, I, I have to say the Poisonwood Bible is, um, it, it is very, very interesting, and it's one of those books that's absolutely wonderful for a book discussion group because there's just so much to talk about, both in terms of craft, why she chose to write the book the way she did, but also the topics. And Richard Ford, yeah, you got to read it. Isn't Independence Day the first of the uh, books about that character? It's, it's, it's after the sports writer, so a question That's I had was, do I need to read, the, it says it's a sequel, do I have to read the sports writer first? He's such a great character that he's worth uh, starting with from the beginning. Didn't he, doesn't Ford have a new book out with him? He, he, he has, yes, he had, the fourth one came out, um, oh my gosh, the name of it just flew away from my head. But he also wrote a book called, um, is it called Canada? Yeah. Yes. Canada. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It, Canada won the Carnegie Award from the American Library Association. And it's just, I mean, the writing is so amazing. But it's, they're not uppers. So. Yeah. Ford was like a master's class for me. when I, I interviewed him three times in three years because I knew I was going to quit. And so my colleague there would book him for me so I could basically just grill him about how to write a novel and, you know, ostensibly about you know, what his book was about. But really, I was just asking him about process and procedure because he is just such a good writer. Who, who else? Who has a book? I'm Roz. I've also had the Poisonwood Bible on my shelf for quite some time, um, but now with the pep talk, maybe I'll try it again. I didn't get to my 50 pages, but I tried it. Um, but I've also had Wolf Hall on my shelf for some time, so I'm hoping for a pep talk. My son sent it to me, so I feel this obligation that I have to read it, but it's not the kind of book that I usually read. It's not the period of time that I'm particularly interested in, so it sits there, and I look at it every day and think, I should read that, but there's so many other things that I'm reading. You know, I could probably send you back to past three or four episodes where you get a pep talk on Wolf Hall, but by all means. Oh, well, 
I'm Judy. I just thought Will Fall was one of the best books I've ever read because it just, it's about, the main character is Thomas Cromwell, who was first Wolsey, Cardinal Wolsey, and then Henry VIII's um, right-hand man. But it is, you are taken into the Tudor court and the Tudor times so effectively that you just live, I mean, I, it's so character-driven. I mean, and I'm going to see the play, which is coming to New York in April. Anyway, that's, I'm just a huge fan. And then the second one is Bring Up the Bodies, which is the fall of Anne Boleyn. Um, I'm Jennifer, and I want to go back to the whole Barbara Kingsolver thing because I must have missed the boat on her. I read something years ago, and even Jennifer, I, I've noticed you're a bit of a contrarian today. <laughs> no, it's the Seahawks' loss, isn't it? No, 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 no. That's I'm 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 looking for the pep talk. I'm looking for where did I go wrong? I, I mean, her politics were my politics, but I felt like in whichever of her early books, I was just being bludgeoned over the head with them, and then I just never could get into her. So then I keep passing. Every used bookstore and Poisonwood Bibles on three different shelves of three different friends of mine. And what did I just get a clinker? And or was I in a bad mood when I read that one book? And I should just go back to her with fresh eyes? Am I reacting to? I don't know. Am I? Am I? Did you grow up in like Eugene, Oregon, and see too many hippies? <laughs> no, I, I really I don't know what I what what went wrong in my first reading experience with her. But I just felt like it was the one. It, it, it combined like, I don't know, immigration policy with, um, with uh, you know, agribusness and chemicals and just there was like a, this interweaving of all kinds of things. I was just like, okay, enough, enough, enough. I agree with all of this, I guess, but I'm not entertained right now. Yeah, I think you picked the wrong one to start with. Um, I think her, her, her earlier ones, um, I, I think, are, are much better. Uh, I, I mean, I don't think you feel like you're hit over the head with any messages. Um, so any of those, I think there are two or three of the earlier ones that I would do. And then the Poisonwood Bible I would do too. Um, I, you know, she has endowed um, an award through Penn, uh, the writing um, uh, group, um, for socially conscious fiction. And I think sometimes when you're you know, that perhaps that influences your writing a little too much. Um, it, can, it can in the, in, the, in the wrong hands or a not as talented writer, perhaps. But before all that, that came to mind for her, or when it was still growing, maybe, she wrote these three earlier novels and, and Poisonwood Bible. Hi, this is Keith. And... Uh, it's not actually on the shelf anymore. It just keeps getting onto the shelf, but Collapse by Jared Diamond. I really enjoyed... Wait a minute. What, has it got legs? It's evolved? Well, I keep borrowing it from the library or various libraries. And I, um, I really enjoyed Guns, Germs, and Steel. Figured that, you know, if it was going to... I didn't think he could write something bigger or denser, but Collapse was it. And, uh, you know, starting with the premise of... Uh, what was the guy thinking when he cut down the last tree on Easter Island and, and look at other societies where we're basically sort of overproducing or running ourselves into the ground? And it just, it's actually not as recent, but it seems to be uh, prophetic for a lot of things that are going on these days. Has anybody read that? So denser and deeper, right, than, than the first book, but very, I mean, very much a follow-on. This, this is Tom. I, I don't think it's denser or deeper than his first book. It's just very different, really. 
Uh, How come? How, why, now, his, Tom, you're, his, you're, you're uh, disagreeing with me, so I have to ask you. <laughs> why don't you think it's denser or deeper? I mean, he's taken. I, th I think it has less tables and graphs in it. Oh, okay. I see what you're <laughs> Less data. And you don't have to, and I'm not sure he's correct about his hypotheses for why these s local civilizations collapsed, but they're wonderful hypotheses and they're interesting to think about, and particularly the one about Easter Island and then the one about Greenland mm -hmm. and why the Scandinavians couldn't survive on Greenland, whereas the Native Americans there could, mm -hmm. is absolutely fascinating. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Whether it's true or not, I don't know, but it's... Very interesting hypothesis. Had to do with their diet, right? Wasn't it something to do with their diet? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah the, the, the uh, Scandinavians refused to eat uh, seal and whales, and that was all that was available. And that might be also, you're saying about the grass, the fact that I'm, most of my attempts have been consuming it as audiobooks, so maybe I have to uh, get something that's a little bit more... <laughs> user-friendly. Yeah, how do you translate those graphs in the audiobook? Uh, sometimes they just read them, <laughs> line by line. <laughs> I've had Steven Pinker do that on some of his in uh, Angels of Our Better Nature. He definitely will just go through several lines of text <laughs> and figures. Nancy, you're even shaking your head on that one. <laughs> uh, who, else, who else has a book that Hi, I'm Leslie, uh, and uh, there's a book that's been, actually it's in my audiobook list that uh, I, I've been nervous about tackling because I've heard that it skips around in time a great deal and uh, borders on fantasy, and it's uh, David Mitchell's Cloud Atlas, and I'm not quite sure I'm going to be able to track with that one. Um, but I am eager to read it, so hopefully I'm interested to know if anybody else enjoyed it. Uh, get off the, I've borrowed that several times and haven't got through a quarter of it yet. I, yeah, Leslie, I, I don't think that I would do that as an audio book. I, I think that you have to, it seems to me that the pleasure of the book is that you're able to go back and forth with great ease you know, mark passages. I mean, I think that's a book that speaks to, that speaks to the joy of the printed word. Um, the same thing about 1776, and that's one that I have been thinking about reading for some time. And I think it's probably one that I want to have just on the table all the time so that anytime I'm reading anything else about history, I can go back and compare because uh, books about uh, early America are definitely on my favorites. There's another one that I'm having trouble getting through it. It's The Boys in the Boat. Now that should be absolutely <laughs> as easy as pie because it's, you know, it's practically about our neighborhood and, you know, everything that's going on. But for some reason, I haven't been able to, you know, get too far into it. And, and I don't know uh, about, uh, you know, whether there's more going on in the plot but I'm just hoping to get a little bit further on and find out what's Listening going on. Listening to that one as well? Uh, no. Oh, you're reading that? Yeah, reading it. Uh -huh. okay. Yeah. I like the, the gasps yeah. on the page. That was good. That was good. Now you're, now you're on, like, notice, right? Now you're on notice to have to read that book. I'm Claire. I also have Poisonwood Bible on my shelf and haven't read it. What winds up happening to me is I get um, books as gifts, and because library books keep coming on reserve, I have to read those. And so then the books that people have given me kind of 
pile up. But the two that are not in that category are books that I have not gotten rid of and keep trying to read. One is Name, Name of the Rose, uh, which 30 years ago or 40 years ago, oh, you have to read this book. I have had it so long that I have given it away and rebought it at yard sales, <laughs> I think twice. I can't even get to 50 pages. So there's that one. And then the other one is um, Sophie's Choice, which I read when I was in my 20s, and I loved it, and I saved it. And I keep trying to go back and read it, and I can barely get to page 10. Because the writing, um, I don't know, it's so overwrought. It isn't the style that people would write in now. It's interesting how dated it seemed. So my husband um, gave me a, um, he, he and my brother-in-law built a library for me, a, you know, a street library. Oh. It, isn't, it isn't installed yet, but when it is, both of those books are <laughs> going into the library. I, I, um, I think that would be a great topic for another discussion, books that you loved and you went back and tried uh, again and, and couldn't read them, because that's happened to me so many times. But the other, but about the name of the rose, uh, I mean, I'm not somebody to urge somebody to slog their way through. That's just not what I think. But gosh, I remember reading the name of the rose and just loving it, that it was just, you know, the brought, brought the whole, you know, medieval period and, and, you know, and then finding out that the author, Umberto Eco, was this great semiotician and all of that. And I, I'm, I think I missed, I mean, whatever there was of that in there, I certainly missed, but I, I thought it was just a terrific read, but I'm a little afraid. I, I, that's on my bookshelf too. And I'm a little afraid to go back and try that again. Katie Sewell here. It brings up the question for me, Part of the reason why I think I don't ever get to the books on my shelf is because for some reason I prefer the books at the library. And I don't know if it's because I need the time limit, <laughs> you know, or the spur of the moment, you know, the staff recommends whatever. What do you think, Nancy? Is it just that the books at my house will always be there and so I just don't ever get to them? Yeah, I mean, maybe it's the same old thing that we take for granted, <laughs> you know, the things that are the familiar, and there's always that, that you know, kind of new. Th new. I, I've, I mean, I, you know, I'm a, li I'm a librarian, and I believe very, you know, very deeply in the, in the, in the importance of public libraries in, in, in society. But I have a really hard time checking books out from the library and reading them because. When I put them on hold, for example, I want them, you know, and I'm and and then when they come in, I'm in a different mood, and I, I, you know, I just don't. I, so I tend to just check them out and then return them. Awful. I become a, the kind of patron I despised. <laughs> um, on my list, I don't keep novels very often. I have my on my shelf are a bunch of natural history books that I've collected that I am plowing my way through, but there's one about kayaking around New York, which I have not read yet, and there's one about reefs 
that uh, in Australia and in the Caribbean, which is about 15 years old now, so I want to read it because the <laughs> reefs are, are so much different, the coral reefs. But I have uh, Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, and I have one more Ken Kesey book that I have on my shelf that I will get to because I decided I would read all of Ken Kesey because he is my University of Oregon patron saint. This is Robin, and I have a couple Betsy wanted me to mention today. One, one of Nancy's books she recommended that we both want to read called The Man in the Window by John Cohn. That's one of her rediscovered titles. And uh, Betsy also has uh, Unnecessary Woman by Rabin uh, Alemedine and uh, Solitude by Robert Call, K-U-L-L, which is about his... Uh, Hiking with a cat in Patagonia, <laughs> which sounded pretty interesting. So Betsy has those, but this is uh, maybe Nancy wants to mention again. I, I'm also, another book that I just started, Nancy, is The Soul of Victor Tronco, and it looks fascinating. And that's another one of uh, Nancy's rediscovered titles, uh, uh, kind of an espionage thriller. Right. Again, we could just send people back to past three uh, episodes where you talk about Victor Tronco. I, I just think Victor, the soul of Victor Tronco, if you like spy fiction, it's one of the, I, I think it's probably the American equivalent of, of John le Carre's Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I mean, it's, 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 um, it's a page turner in the sense that it's, it's a story, it, it tells the truth, it tells the story of two defectors who came to, ended up at the CIA telling radically opposite stories, including that there was a mole high up in the CIA. One said there was, the other said there wasn't. The one who said there was said, said um, oh, and by the way, somebody's going to show up in a few months and he's going to tell you that there is not a mole in the CIA, but there is. So, I mean, and it just written by David Quammen, who you you must love Steve because he does a you know natural history moved into natural history, uh, but wrote these two great novels at the beginning of his career, The Soul of Victor Tronco. I'd yeah, love it if people read it. That'll be our assignment. Yeah, I have the Song of the Dodo still on my shelf, which I read, but I saved because it was so great. This is Judy again. I'd like to know how many of you have War and Peace on you to, on your to-be-read list. <laughs> I have a question. I have the Red Breast by Joe Nesbo, and do you have to like? Do you have to read that and then keep reading all the other? I mean, my question is: is if I read it, am I going to be stuck on Joe Nesbo until I get done with the entire series? Was it too freaky? No, it's awesome. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. As are most of his things, and I'm just plowing through one by one. Can't can't put them down. They're okay. wonderful. Find us at that stack on Twitter, at Facebook, that stack of books with Nancy Pearl, Steve Share, at that stack of Stitcher, and also just you know wander around and find us meandering uh, through bookstores and uh, bookshelves. Thank you all. Thank you.